0: Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today, we're doing something a little different. I am very glad to be joined by Brian Stelter, longtime media reporter, former CNN host, who's joining me today to talk about my new book, Uncovered. This is episode 39. So today's episode will be a little different. Uncovered, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People is my book that is out this week, available wherever you get your books. You can find it at readuncovered.com. And I asked Brian Stelter, who I have known for 15 years. Uh, we go way back. Uh, I've gone through some some twists and turns in our careers. I think that we agree on certain things and we disagree quite strongly on other things but I asked him to come join me in this setting for a long-form conversation sort of interviews me about Uncovered and so what you're going to hear is that conversation unedited uncensored all about Uncovered and the state of the media today so enjoy Brian Stelter uh Thank you for for joining me here on this very special edition of the Fourth Watch podcast. Uh, I want to give a, a little bio on Brian and a little bit on how we know each other. We go way back our our the media careers have kind of been ships passing in the night in some ways. Brian started TV newser way back when he was in college which was incredible if anyone who who remembers the early days of TV newser just a, just such a, a a rare blog at the time and just was was crushing it. Uh, when Brian left to go to the New York Times Chris Aarons took over. He hired me as the associate editor. Brian and I met for the first time back in November of uh, 2007. So we've known each other for about 15 years. Met in the New York Times uh, cafeteria. And then Brian was the uh, the media reporter for the New York Times for a while, wrote uh, several bestsellers and is the producer of... Uh, the morning show on, on, uh, on Apple. Uh, he also, uh, of course, most notably was at CNN. Uh, we missed each other at CNN by a few weeks. <laughs> I left in, yeah. uh, in August 2013. Brian started, uh, shortly after that, uh, was the host of the Reliable Sources program, which sadly no longer exists, was the editor of the Reliable Sources newsletter. Very well read. Sadly no longer exists. Oh, okay, it does exist, I'm told. Um, In a and, different
1: uh, form, a different <laughs> form. It's excellent. It's with Oliver Darcy now.
0: And, and uh, yes, just we kid uh, Oliver there. And um, and obviously was the chief media correspondent for a long time until about, as he's tweeted about uh, recently, about six months ago, uh, was no longer at CNN. And now we are joined here to talk about uh, Uncovered, my book that was out uh, this week. And uh, Brian, I, I sent one of the earliest copies that uh I could send. I think it was October, November of last year. <laughs> and uh and and really this is a this is a sort of a that's my intro. And now I'm gonna try to hand it over to Brian. This'll be kind of a discussion or an interview, however we wanna go. And uh and we'll see where it goes. So so really I, I appreciate you doing this. I I wanna talk to you for a while. I mean, we talk offline but i i I, i've wanted to talk on the the record also and and i wanted to have an interview with someone that i think may have some agreement with the book but also may have some disagreement and i think that that's important
1: and now i get to take over this is this is going to be cool have you ever have you ever been interviewed on your own podcast before
0: i certainly not no no this is this is is a new experience i'm enjoying it okay oh
1: well, well you're enjoying it but we haven't really started yet so let's see if you enjoy it in a few minutes right That's right. Um, Okay, so I'm in charge, although I know you're going to try to turn the tables. Um,
0: Yes, it'll just be a discussion.
1: I'll tell you what I love about your book. What I love about your book is that you're coming at the media and writing about the media from a place of being constructive and not destructive. Because, you know, if anybody knows anything about me, you know, it was all about Donald Trump and his war against the media and how's the media fighting back – and in my view, what Trump was doing was he was trying to be destructive. But you, with, with what you write about in the book, you're trying to be constructive. You're coming at this from a place of, let's, let's make the press better because we all benefit when the press is healthier and stronger and more representative of our country and our citizens. So uh, let's start from that place with um, what went wrong? Like, what broke? What's the what's the 60-second version of what broke in this country?
0: Yeah, it's something I've I've thought a lot about uh, and and obviously it's really the basis of the book because look I was at CNN in, from 2010 to 2013. I think there were some valid criticisms of places like CNN and and other outlets New York Times, you know, ABC, CBS, pick your pick your news network, your sort of corporate media news network. But it also felt extremely different than than the way things shifted in 2016 and 2017 which is really where the book starts it really starts in 2014 but but obviously 2015 2016 became a big inflection point and i've I've tried to figure out what it was that that changed, and I've laid out five big problems with the media uh from a, uh, a geographic bias to coziness with power, one that I think is a is a huge factor more recently in the rise of social media, the way social media can make journalists into influencers, and this sort of anti speech activism that I call it, which is really I think started more twenty twenty and beyond. And so I do think that there, there are some new phenomenons in the modern media that have made this problem worse. And and I, I as you mentioned, I love the media. I love my time at CNN. I think we need a strong media. We need a media that's trusted. We see poll after poll of the press, the decline in trust in the press. I don't like that. I, I, I don't want to see it destroyed. We need independent media. We need strong institutional media. And so I do try to set out to identify problems and, and see if I can find some solutions.
1: But there's always been, for example, a geographic bias, meaning you know the networks and the major papers have always been on the East Coast in New York and D.C. and and there's there's always been, uh, frankly, too much coziness with power. I, I mean, at least uh, for for as long as television uh, and radio have existed. So so why? Um, what do you think is different about the mid two thousand? What do we call them? Teens. Yeah. You know, like what what was it that stood out to you? You know, in the last five, six, seven years.
0: Yeah, so I, I do think that geographic bias took a couple of different forms. I, on one level, what was already existing between, you know, the way let's just take CNN as an example, right? Yes, C, CNN had a, a strong New York bureau and a strong DC bureau. But in 2012, when I was covering every election uh, election night, I was going to Atlanta, and Atlanta, it, it's, it's you know, it's not like I was spending my time in in the streets of of Georgia. I was mostly in the CNN center, but at least you're hiring a lot of people that are not from these, what I call the Acela media or the Estella corridor, New York and DC, or you're not flying people that are from all over the country and, and planting them in a very specific bubble. And so, so I do think that we've seen a little bit more of a shift away from that. Atlanta basically no longer is really a part of CNN now. And I and I think we've seen a oh, consolidation. On. There's
1: lots of producers in Atlanta. I agree with you that New York has become more of a hub though for CNN, definitely. And NBC. Especially
0: on TV, I, I, yes, yes, and and I do think that um, the the other big factor this uh, in terms of the geographic bias, for example, is is COVID related, uh, you know, by design. Uh, so in 2020, you know, the, the idea of, of getting out there, it, you know, it, it became uh, much harder to do physically. And, and I do think that, that there was, there was a real you know, push to, I mean, people were literally in their houses, especially the people that were working in New York and DC. Um, now there, there's a, Pendulum swing the other direction also, which I think might be helpful is that we saw with the pandemic that work from home is right. a lot more possible in the media. So I do hope that maybe in the future, as we're, as we're coming out of this, we're seeing people that can be in, in their own locations, in their own communities and get the job done. I actually think that's, that's a positive, but I do think that that was a shift that we saw even in 2020 and beyond
1: wasn't so much of the focus though uh, so much of the dc focus in the trump years a reflection of the unprecedented and dramatic and for many americans scary and for other americans exhilarating moment that we were in as a country i mean cuz cuz yeah this gets to this idea that you know there was too much attention around trump too much coverage too much criticism but i look back and i think that was history like we lived yeah. through history and um it, it was unlike anything any living American had ever seen before. So of course it deserved 24 seven attention.
0: Yeah. It's it's one of the reasons why I am not critical in the book. I, I I specifically make this point of the early coverage by CNN, by MSNBC, by other places. But CNN really got some some grief from the left for the way they covered Trump in the primary, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know the empty podium and and playing the speeches with and not doing the same for on other candidates. I disagree with that. I mean he was a phenomenon, like you talk about. He was the news, and you know Jeff Zucker, who I worked with in 2013. Uh, there was this real one. Story mentality. You know, when I was there, it was the Boston bombing. We put all our resources to that. And he and got criticism for things like the poop cruise or things like The Missing Plane. But again, I defend all of that. I, I think what's interesting <laughs> is I, I think the Missing Plane was is an amazing story. I know that there's a new Netflix Of special course it is. To, um, it's actually a bigger story today. Every day the plane is missing, it's a bigger story. But okay. it is. It is. No, I I I love that story. And so so yes, I think the Trump phenomenon was was very worth covering. Um and I and I also think, and I'm not super critical of the press for for being tough on the Trump administration, just in theory, uh, because I think that journalists should be tough on every administration. And so, yeah, I think it's a little bit hypocritical when it's much tougher on one administration than, say, the one before it or the one after it. But I I don't fault them. I, I, I want tough press on administrations across the board the problem though is when it goes overboard and when i think the the guardrails the journalistic guardrails start being being eased off and mm. i i wonder if you agree with this but my my thinking is that what happened is that there was some some business decision-making going on. He was great for business. And so, so, you know, it's great, you know, getting more clicks and getting more views, great for business. There's something personal about it. You know, he had personal relationships with a lot of journalists. I mean, I, I mentioned in the book, people like Jeff Zucker, but also Gail King and Katie Couric and Matt Lauer, they were at his wedding in 2005. He was, he was in that media scene. And then he became this turncoat. So it was business and personal, but I also mm. think that there were a lot of people at newsrooms across the D.C. and New York, that believed that there was this real existential threat, that Trump was an existential threat and, and they, that they there was a sense of we're going to we have to you know, save democracy here. And so because of that, there was yes, we have these standards, but they have to be loosened because this is a, a separate this is a, a unique opportunity. This is a unique moment. We must meet that unique moment by doing this. Now, I would argue that. So was he not a threat to democracy? I know. So I don't think he was an ex- existential threat to democracy. We could debate whether he was or not, but I, I personally don't think he was. But I would say that if we let's just say that he was. That I would say the much better way of going about it is to double down on the editorial standards. That's when, if you really want to convince the public and convince the largest swath of the public that this is really an existential threat that we're in, hmm. then then that's when you actually have to really adhere to the principles even more so, so everyone can trust you. And instead, I think they went the opposite direction and and actually sort of hurt the case. And when when a lot of now all of a sudden everything gets gets called oh they're they're just making it up. Well, when when right, actually there right. were legitimate stories.
1: I think I put more responsibility on the press bashers and you put more on the press. And that's fair, you know, and, and that's the tug of war. Um, in my mind, uh, when uh, any world leader tries to destroy a news outlet, um, that's that's a crisis. Uh, not a crisis, that's a threat. That's a big threat. Um, and I think what you say is you're putting more responsibility on the news outlets, uh, whereas I, I take more, I find more concern in the rhetoric and the behavior of the leader.
0: Well, I I think the rhetoric for sure, the tweets, the comments that he said, the, you know, enemy of the people. I didn't like any of that, but I, but I do think that so much of Trump was the rhetoric and not the actions. And, and I, I compare it to the Obama administration in, in chapter one, uh, on the way that Obama and his Department of Justice really Really clamped down on press freedom through the use of the Espionage Act to to sort of criminalize journalism and and journalistic journalistic sources, and that more they use the Espionage Act more than any other administration combined, including the Trump administration. Uh, James Risen, uh, who was one of those people under the Obama administration who who really was was you know attacked in that way, uh, of the New York Times wrote that if. President Trump targets the press, blame Obama, and I think so much of that it, it seeded the ground here because Obama uh, it was not friendly with the press, and yet he was treated much more favorably. And then you get Trump, and it, yes, rhetoric-wise, much worse. I mean, just just over the top rhetoric about everything. Um, but action-wise, yes, he pulled some press passes. I spoke out, even in you know in favor of Jim Acosta not losing his press pass. That was over the line, but mostly rhetoric and not action. I would say,
1: huh. See, I, I could spend the rest of the hour just listing all of the actions he took against the press, right? Trying to get Rupert Murdoch to take over CNN, trying to sue the, stop the deal, trying to um, trying to tell people what to watch and what not to watch, right? Trying to destroy Fox News after the 2020 election because Fox briefly reported the truth about Biden winning. I mean, I think there are so many actions, but but look, I, I think you and I disagree fundamentally about, about that post-election period, right? January 6th, how meaningful it was. You've been quite critical of how the press has covered January 6th in the aftermath. Um, so uh, care, yes. I'm curious. I'm curious what you think of Tucker Carlson getting a hold of the uh, surveillance tapes.
0: I think it's great. I, I I I wish I wish everyone got a hold of them. I mean, I I. I but that's not what they're doing. True. Uh, I I don't I don't necessarily I think that, that this is how a lot of this works. Uh, I think if it was <laughs> you know it, there, there's a reason that that. That CNN had lots of exclusives of certain January 6th footage, uh, and and other news outlets had exclusives about January 6th activity from the January 6th committee that they were getting fed. And so this is how it works. It's not it's not ideal, but I I favor more transparency across the board. I think that there are still absolutely questions about January 6th that are not being addressed. I I, I wish that they were in the January 6th committee. But yeah, I, I I definitely think and I actually I one of there's a few topics that I wish I wrote more about in the book. January 6th is definitely one of them. I, I, I think it was uh January 6th, I always give the caveat. Very bad, very, very bad day, bad riot. Uh the the way that it was then turned into something that could be made not just about trump but about in my opinion about half the country and and to the overreach that came from it um i i think has been has been really detrimental to the press i i never really understood it um other than the fact that trump was gone and so it became like the stand-in for trump um but Mm. i i i do i do wonder about that and i and i actually i i hope that well, Tucker it's because it's happening.
1: never happened before in our lives, and hopefully, it'll never happen again. It was a violent riot at our seat of power, and it should never happen. That's why it was taken seriously.
0: It, it should be taken seriously, and, and you know, hundreds of people have been prosecuted, and and I I support all of that, and and I think that uh, the the. The curiosity, I, I think, that, or the lack of curiosity by the press is is that they're fo- so focused on certain aspects of it and not others. I, I think that there were big mm. security concerns. I, I, I'm glad that some in the press covered the fact that ultimately the final January 6th report was – to the the complaints as we've read in places like NBC, which has done some good reporting on it, the complaints internally that yeah. so much of that final report was focused only on Trump and not on the massive security right, and failures. Right, not on security.
1: Right, that yeah. that was a, a glaring absence, a glaring absence in the report. You're right. Um, yeah. I, I, I think, but I think what this gets to is we we simply live in two or three, I think, three different media universes in America, um, and solutions proposed in one universe aren't going to apply to the other, and people speaking in one universe aren't going to be heard in the other except through distorted out-of-context clips. Um, You know, how how can we be constructive and try to improve trust in media when there are so many people, so many companies, so many uh, hosts, so many businesses that are built on keeping people in their echo chambers?
0: Yeah, it's it's a huge problem. And and I and I don't disagree that it's 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 across the board. Uh, you know, it's not one side or the other. Um, I think one of the biggest problems in the press is that there's not really a financial incentive to when you get a story wrong, correct it. Um, there's not really a mechanism for it it's it's very hard to find this the people that you were originally heard the story that that turned out not to be true to now be told that actually what you were told and right. sort of was ingrained in your mind and so right. so I I think that the, that's unfortunate one of in the in the last chapter of the book I, I give some potential solutions one of them which I I am I'm a huge supporter of is is Ombudsman public editors I think they should be at every major media outlet um, mm-hmm. they used to be at places like the New York Times they're gone now um there are people that are within organizations like a David Folk and Flick at NPR, who I think serves that role, he'll occasionally write about NPR. I think that that's important. Um, so I, I I think that that there needs to be an effort to to yes uh, to, to we should have a press that is interested in in, in telling the the entire story and in, in reaching a broad amount of uh, audience. And that's actually one of the other big problems is that as audiences you know just audience habits shift there's there's less and less people, the, the pie is getting smaller and smaller, even for large media or outlets. I write about ESPN and the way that ESPN has has shifted. And I think part of that is the fact that there's just this acknowledgement that we're no longer going to be for everyone. We don't need mm-hmm. to be for everyone. Now we're just we we only are going to be for a s sl- every Every single day, it's for less and less people that, that they're going to potentially reach from mm-hmm. a traditional means. And I think that's unfortunate. That's, I, that's why I, I think that we need strong independent press, but we need strong institutional press also, because it's not going to be easily solved. Um, but I, I think that the, that the first thing is acknowledging it, having some introspection, and, and also starting to correct the record on some of the stories that that organizations got wrong.
1: What are the ones that stand out most to you? What, what, did, what did me and my colleagues at CNN screw up the most in your view?
0: Well, I start the book with the hunter Biden laptop story um and, and I think that it's it's an important one for a few reasons um I think we've seen with the Twitter files which uh notably has not gotten very much uh coverage at all in the in the corporate press um I you know I I think there's actually a few reasons for it I think the rollout of it was not exactly successful um but I, I think that they you know one of those this the the elements here is that there was a real uh the, There was a real suppression of that story, not just by tech platforms in conversation with with government entities like intel agencies like the FBI, but also from media organizations. Now the answer, the question is why was that? And maybe you know if they doubted the story was real, and I think that they they did doubt the story was real. I don't I don't Clearly. necessarily dispute that. Um, and they were spun by these people like James Clapper, who now even just last week is still refusing to accept accountability for the fact that he put that letter out along with many other people, and that was then spread by places like Politico, by CNN, and others, and 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 it left this. Impression. Where years later now, uh, yes, now we're starting to get some reporting that actually the laptop's real and it was all legitimate. But the the in, certainly in October of 2020, before a very important election, we are not going to go down that road, especially not by, by you know the scars of 2016 and the criticisms of how they treated Hillary's emails and not wanting to make that same mistake again. So you had journalists that were literally mm. getting their accounts locked on Twitter and were up, were. Uh, you we know, are deleting the tweet that was linking to the New York Post when that was, when was apparently no longer allowed. We had Maggie Haberman at The New York Times, a great reporter who dared to like send a link to the New York Post where she used to work. And she's getting called Maga Haberman for this. Um, it was just a really and, and getting called that not by activists, but by other journalists and other journalists like at NBC telling people do not link to the New York Post, do not even reference it. That's that's a real chilling thing, because it's one thing to, to, to try to tiptoe into the story, and it's another to treat it as if it's this toxic material that completely uh, ha, you know spins the public in, in a really wrong direction.
1: Mm. See, I, I think that's Twitter's problem, right? Separate from the press. If Twitter screwed up, we should go after Twitter, right? But didn't newsroom—I think newsroom just looked around and said, we don't have the laptop, we don't have evidence— we don't have evidence, it's real. And we know that there are reasons to wonder if it's disinformation. Like a lot of the lies that happen now about what happened in 2020 go like this. They say, all these assholes, they all called it disinformation. That's not true. A lot of us just wondered, we said out loud, could this be? Right. We said We said things like, some former us officials think it might be and it was always cushioned and co- it was not always it was often um cushioned that way and now in retrospect 2 years later 3 years later people like pe- partisans like to pretend that it was labeled disinformation which it wasn't um, it was not, there yeah. was there was concern there was there was reason to be concerned not because of hillary emails but because of um, uh, of the, the russian attempt in 2016 which i know you probably think was overstated
0: well, I definitely think it was overstated, but but I also think that yes, okay, so so yes, there was some, and and I will say, you know, the, the reporting around it by saying things like it has all the hallmark, all, all the earmarks of Russian right. disinformation, which is right. what the intel agency said. That is essentially telling people this this is probably that. And there wasn't a lot of saying, well, here's what's being reported. We don't know if this is true, but but I I would dispute the fact that look, I think during the Trump years there was a big effort. We talked about Russia in 2016, and then the Mueller report one outlet like the New York Times or the Washington Post would have an exclusive sometimes single, sometimes maybe double sourced right. on some little element of what's going on with Mueller. And no one's seen the Mueller report, but they had one story and then that gets spun. That's an entire news cycle. And right. so with this, though, because it's the New York Post, because it's Rudy Giuliani and, it, and admittedly, it's the it's the semi blind re- repair shop, you know, shop guy. OK, yeah, it's a little bit a little bit hazier maybe than just having the New York Post or um, than just having and the New York Times. A New York Post reporter
1: that like didn't want to have their byline on the story. There's a there's a lot of problems with it, but I know you know that
0: there's red flags with it 100%. But we we saw that for in in the intervening four years that that these sort of single stories where it's you don't need to see the source material but this is being reported by this outlet and that becomes a story sometimes that turned out to be true and sometimes it definitely did not. With this, we didn't see that. And, and I think that that, coupled with the lack of outrage by the press over the New York Post censorship by Twitter, the way they were locked out of their Twitter account for weeks, the way that, that, that the link to that article was, was censored, that, that was most concerning to me.
1: Hmm. Do you think it's an example of coziness to power? I mean, that's one of the subtitles i Uncover, uncovered, right? That the press got too cozy to power, I think because at that point, Donald Trump is the most powerful because he's president. But I know oftentimes in the view of, of some of your, um, do I call them fans? Like, I, I, you know, I, I've seen you on Fox and Friends and Tucker Carlson this week. Like, in their view, Trump was never really in power. It's really the deep state or the elites. Well, so is that coziness to power?
0: I think that you know Olivia Nuzzi, uh, who who we know at New York Magazine, uh, has a quote in in the book. Um, and I will say all the people in the book are are on the record and and put their name to it. Where she says that you know that that there was no social penalty when you went after Trump uh, or the Trump administration. In fact, it was just the mm. opposite. There was a social incentive to do so. Whereas with the Biden administration, the, if you go hard at that, they're actually it's it's the almost the opposite. There you're. There she didn't use the term coziness with power, but there are mm-hmm. people that are cozy, not necessarily like best friends, but that they they know each other. they're they're part part of the same system and have been for a long time. that kids go to the same schools, that sort of thing. so so I do think that there was, even though, obviously, yes, Trump right. was the president, he was very powerful. Mm-hmm. He was not part of that same establishment that had been there forever. I mean, he right
1: you know, right well, look look like the way I describe it is like, um, uh, when was Jen Psaki named press secretary, right? She was named right at She's the beginning of the Biden. First, Yeah, And it was like, oh, great. I already have her cell phone number. Great. <laughs> but I felt the same way when Sean Spicer was named White House press secretary. I mean, listen, I trusted Spicer. I thought Spicer and Priebus were going to make sure that 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 2017 didn't get out of control. And then it got out of control, in my view. Well, but They got my, pushed my, out, but, yeah. Well, but even even when they were there, but but my but my point is like that is true, right? If if you you could call that coziness, or you could just call that reporters who are well sourced, who know the right people. I don't I don't know, you know, you could you could go different ways on that.
0: A hundred percent, and that's also why I think it's complicated. You know, I I, yeah. I don't think that just because you know a person. You you are you are, you are just like completely you know um, unable to cover them for for one point. I mean you know if you're really you know it, like no, but but then
1: it gets really murky because you should at least be very careful about how you address it. You should disclose. I mean, err on the side of disclosure. I think we need to see much more disclosure of yeah. those sorts of relationships in journalism. But but the social penalty thing is really interesting, right? Because um, in the right wing media universe, to go after Biden, there is no social penalty. Obviously, there's the opposite. To right. go after Trump, there is still to some degree a social penalty. So you focus so much on the ABCs and CNNs, don't you let the Foxes and Newsmaxes off the hook? Uh,
0: well, so uh, look, I, I, I spend the second to last chapter, I, I I base it around the idea of like, what if I'm wrong, right? And I, I base it around a conversation <laughs> that I had with a former media executive, uh, which, which I, I don't name, but they basically, I, I called them to see if they would be a source for the book. Uh, they declined, and they said basically, the, your whole premise is wrong. You know, th- this book, what's the, the most important story is Fox News and the way that they're they have a grip on the Republican Party. They're afraid of Donald Trump. And I said, well, I think Brian, I know.
1: I think I know who it
0: was. Okay, well, you can tell me after. I don't want to reveal who it is. Uh, that this person read the book, had some nice things to say, and had some very clear criticisms also. But I told this person, Brian already wrote that book. You know, I. I but not just that, like. So much of media criticism is is aimed in one direction. And and I will say I, I will accept that that there are absolutely criticisms of Fox News and the way that they cover Trump in the way that they continue to cover certain aspects of of. Of, of just the universe. I, I don't think that, that, um, that they are exempt from it. And occasionally in fourth watch my newsletter, I will, I will take that on. Um But I do try to, to go from a different perspective because yeah. a, I don't think it's really happening much at all from people that, that, again, as you say, like the media and I want it to be better and are right. not trying to destroy it. And then the second reason is I do think that there's a cultural cachet that mm. places like CNN in particular, which is, it, it is curious. I was talking to Will Cain about this. Why is it that CNN is so important, much more so than ABC or CBS or NBC News or certainly MSNBC, um, real cultural cachet to places like the New York Times, places like CNN. And 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 so, yeah, it does. despite the fact that Fox has many more viewers, it's much more important the way that those news organizations operate. That's why I spent so much time on the Tom Cotton op-ed fallout uh, in the book because I just think it's we need to have places like the New York Times, I, and, yeah. and it's hard to describe why that is. But we need them to be trusted. We need them to have be, to be places of of a exchange of ideas of of just a, you know they need to be the ones that that are that are at the, at the paramount of free speech, and it's, so that's that's also why I think it, they're much more important in some ways than the what Fox News is doing that may not be journalistically sound. I think the importance
1: comes partly from the the journalism muscle, the newsroom muscle, meaning the New York Times has far more reporters than um the um, you know, USA Today, and yep. CNN has far more journalists than fox News, and um you know that's you know CNN then wins on big news days, they're usually on the scene first, all that sort of stuff. there's so much less news muscle that exists in right wing media, which frustrates me because I wish there were more journalists in right wing media and fewer talking heads, um, but at the same time, that's why you want to focus more on newsrooms, and I get that right that it's that it's more important to focus on who's gathering the raw materials that everybody else on the left and right then talks about and fights over. The raw yeah. materials are really important and, and the raw materials need to be trusted.
0: And he gets at this idea of of objectivity in general and and fairness mm. like is that something to strive for that's a real debate that's happening right now and 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 um you know is
1: somebody arguing we shouldn't be fair
0: what do you mean well i think people are, are saying that we should be fair but i i think the word objectivity has become a, a real point of contention um you know the, in in the book uh, amy Chozik, right. who was at the new york times and uh she covered hillary clinton she describes that there's a debate going on that essentially is objectivity akin to white supremacy and and that's an actual debate that's happening in newsrooms like at the New York Times and other places and that's that's a really important aspect here right i i think that the question of of should journalists strive to be fair to both sides to that you know or to all sides to 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 give viewers the 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 facts and let them find their way to to where their their conclusions are i think that's actually something that's being debated now and and that's something that I think is, is I don't know if you agree, but I, I think that that's something that that is even more reason to shine a light on places that, in theory, yeah. should be ob- objective.
1: I think we need to show that we've walked all the way around the block before we've started to write about the block. And, you know, that's my, my way of saying, let's be fair to everybody. Let's make sure that we're being fair. Let's make sure we've seen the full story. Because if you're only writing about the story from the backyard, then you're probably missing a big part of the story. That said... When a congressman like George Santos is elected and then it's revealed that he lied about his entire life, um, which shows incredible disrespect and disregard and contempt for the voters who now regret voting for him. Um, In that situation, we shouldn't be uh, holding back or or acting like, um, well, maybe there's another. Maybe 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 he was telling the truth, like when journalists have a fact that they can look at a piece of paper and know that is when i think they should assert their experience and an expertise and say this is a
0: fact and, George and we're Santos. not going to yeah, yeah. I mean, he actually has been getting it from in, incoming from. Yes. I would say Fox too, uh, which yes. which is interesting. Uh, I agree. I, I, I... I just love
1: the Sanders example because it's this example of the system actually working. Yes. Because yes, he was elected, and in, in my view, he shouldn't have been. But then journalists uncovered these stories, the New York Times, and then many other journalists found more examples, and and then local reporters went to visit his family and friends, and and then reporters in D.C. chased him down the hall. To me, the system's working um, in that case. And it's uh, making sure that there's a penalty. Uh, you use social penalty. There's a social penalty for for, for lying.
0: Yes. No. I, I agree with that. And I I, 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 I want to go back to one thing that you said there. Yeah. But let me ask you first. Do you think that? Um, uh, well, let me let me ask you this now. So I, I I do think that there's an important point that, like, there. Sometimes I'm critical of the press and and. It's because they're essentially late. Um, I I, right. I wish that we knew George Santos' story earlier. I guess he's sort of right. a, a under the radar, you know, candidate. But like I look at like the John Fetterman story as something where. We learned so much in a New York Times story uh, only a few weeks ago about the re- the true condition of John Fetterman. Mm. And so, yes, I think that that was late. And in the book, I describe it as a sort of hypocritical corrective. But we can thank <laughs> the New York Times for being the ones that that have revealed this information to us. So, sure should i i wish they would have done that story a lot earlier i don't know why it is that they they wait but it does seem like okay it, he's a senator now and now we can tell you what the what the real story is and and, and that's something also i think people know that's notice. so
1: cynical i think that's so cynical to the point of conspiratorial that journalists are sitting on information until he's elected come on
0: i so maybe it's just the fact that okay now he's elected now we, we we've developed our sources to the point that we have more and we can actually go with it or you know, I I don't know, but that that's a good example of it. Someone who's been on the Fetterman beat, and and then and then drops this, and yet when Dasha Burns of NBC dares to say that you know he doesn't seem very to be able to communicate when when I when he doesn't have the thing in front of him, you know the the words on, on the screen, and just gets pilloried by other people in the press. But you know, then yeah, but Dasha was also praised. I mean, I texted Dasha. Lots of us texted her, congratulating
1: her and saying she was doing a great job. That there's. You focus on what the Twitter criticism, right? That's interesting. but her bosses had her back, her newsroom had her back, her friends had her back. I'm I do not count myself as a friend. I just I just know her. You know, I actually met her. Uh, remember that day, Mastriano kicked the press out, wouldn't let yeah. the press in, and I went over there and I met her that day. But but anyway, I, I think I, it's an interesting case because you're right. There was criticism of her for that straightforward reporting. But in my view, that's just that's the usual noise, and there's always going to be that noise, and and journalists have to tune out the trolling. They have to tune out the act, the liberal and conservative activists who are always just shouting at them. And is that that's, too?
0: Yeah, no, no. But that's, that's but when they don't,
1: things. but when they don't tune it out, that's a problem.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I I wonder if it has a chilling effect. And you know, I talked to um, Sharon Waxman in the book, uh, uh, the who owns the rap, and she says that she has seen her own reporters get pushback and has made them not want to cover stories or cover stories in a certain way because of the reaction that they get on Twitter, and and right. you know it was a pretty big admission, and I think that, but that I I, I don't doubt that that happens. And look, I, I I'm someone who like loves Twitter and I'm on Twitter all the time, and <laughs> I, I hate that I hate that about myself. Um, but I, I do feel like I have some self awareness where I don't necessarily I I know it's fake. Like you know if I get 500 right. retweets and people telling right. me great job, I know it's fake, right. and if it, if I get 50 people telling right. me how horrible I am, I don't I don't take it personally. But but it's hard to do. It's its a hard thing, I think. And you have to it, learn that. You have to learn that ability. It's yeah. harder
1: for younger journalists growing up to, to have the thicker skin,
0: I think. Right, right. Yeah. And I do wonder about the Twitter incentive structure also. You know, the idea right. that now journalists can become their own brands. And they, they have. I mean, they speak freely in, in some cases, like Taylor Lorenz and others, about brand uh, what does that mean? What does that do to the journalism itself? And 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 does that undermine the journalism that they put out there that may be good journalism? But then they get on a platform where they're trying to build a brand and saying things that are not part of the story. And, and now all of a sudden, we get this peek behind the curtain that we couldn't see before.
1: Mm hmm right and i in some ways that sh- uh, in my view like i trust journalists more when i know more about them but i understand that that also sows distrust and it makes it easier to come up with a reason not to trust someone when right. you can pluck a tweet or a, pa- a pass instagram out of the out of the out of the digital air
0: yeah yeah, I I think that there's right. It leaves this paper trail, you know. I, I describe it as like it's like a diary entry that that for the world to see, um, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be about the stories that they're covering. It could be just be about anything, and then all of a sudden there's like it's ammunition for the people that are trying to discredit them. Um, and but in, in a lot of ways, it is this. It, it, it's the true thoughts of the journalists, and it's journalism is not a job like any other occupation. You know, the the way that a person is sort of positioned and in I would say in the olden days like a couple of decades ago when social media didn't exist we barely even knew most journalists names you know now everyone is just so online that it it, it does really change things and and, it, and I do think it's different than say you, you know other occupations where we just don't know as much about that person now that we right. know it makes it it's in some cases it can it, it can have a detrimental effect.
1: I think what it's caused is and tell me if think I'm right or wrong. It's caused we're in a situation now where everybody trusts some media but everybody yeah. distrusts some other media. So everybody has a boogeyman that they 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 think is the the enemy in the media and and everybody has you know uh, sources that they trust and believe in. And at the end of the day when there's a tornado warning near you you actually do trust your local broadcaster you do trust your meteorologist. So there is some trust there. But um, but you know then the uh, local station also misquotes your your neighbor or right. uh, you know it or just totally ignores the biggest story in your town and and that and then you lose a little bit of the trust and um, a lot of those aspects are really really hard to solve yeah. um, I think because they're like the it's like the day to day inch by inch nature of media you know you gain you gain an inch but then you lose an inch
0: and and it's also i think just the nature of of the, the the evolution of the press where we are with with just you know it is a fact you know we've got social media we've got now uh, the rise of independent media like with substack uh where where individuals can build brands and and the whole conceit is trust me you know trust me right. personally you right. don't even have to work, go to a a, a gatekeeper uh, and and this happens on both sides um so so yeah i do think it's a it's a real problem but, but that's I, a good
1: I, thing right isn't it good to have that isn't it good to have i mean you've said it earlier that you want both in- than an institutional press. I think they make each other stronger.
0: I, I think when when done right, they can, and I, I think they should. Um, you know, so often though, I think that there are, I mean, there's problems with both. I, I think that there are, are, are real drawbacks to independent media that doesn't have the backing of Editorial teams or mm. legal teams, you know, it, you 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 lose something there. Um, and at the same time, I think that they're, they're, the corporate media is seeing their power go a little bit away and and go towards more independent outlets, like you know, like Joe Rogan.
1: More than a little bit. I think l- yeah. more than a little bit of power has been lost. You're being do, nice.
0: Yeah. No. I, I. I. Do you? I mean, do you think that there are? I mean, obviously, you're you're at CNN. Like the 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 the, the threat of Losing, you know, power to to upstarts like that, um, does that change the, the 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 thought process of of a place like a CNN mm-hmm. or, or New York Times? You think?
1: Well, I think CNN's a lot of things to a lot of people, right? And to some people at Fox, it's just a you know, it's a target of mockery. So there's that. There's like the use CNN as a as a. um, uh, whatever but but CNN's a lot of things a lot of people it is it is a news gathering muscle for for many people it is a companion it's a form of companionship people leave it on all day and like to see the anchors it is a forum for debate and discussion and analysis right if you watch some of the more talking head type shows so it's all these different things to different people um and what i care about most is the news muscle let's just make sure that the news muscle stays strong uh it doesn't really matter if i'm there or not there or some other guy like me is there but let's make sure the news muscle is strong. Um, when it comes to you know independent media, uh, it should be a motivator to the to, to the CNNs of the world, and I think it is. I, I remember um, I don't know this has been out there before, and maybe I shouldn't say it. I, I think there was, a, yeah, there, was it. Of, there was a there was talk of there was there was talk about Barry Weiss uh, maybe doing a pilot for CNN Plus, and I think mm. she ended up not doing the pilot, and clearly she didn't end up with a show on it. And thank goodness, because CNN Plus was then uh, blown up after only a month. Uh, rest in peace, CNN Plus. You know. Right. Uh, but, but you know, I thought that was a really interesting idea. Uh, whoever thought to try to bring her in for a pilot, that's exactly what the CNNs of the world should be doing, right? Looking for new talent, looking for new voices. When I was doing Reliable on Sunday mornings, I always wanted to book people that I had not seen on TV anywhere else in, during the week. And sometimes I failed with that, and I booked predictable people. But but my goal often was, let's bring on new voices. Um right. And, uh, so I think, you know, th- there's an interplay there that can be mutually beneficial and should be mutually beneficial. And the, the right approach for the CNNs and the ABCs and the, and the, is not to fear or, um, you know, uh, try to, try to try to somehow stop it's impossible to stop the rise of independent media it's to it's to um to look for talent and voices and benefit like that
0: yeah well why not right i mean there, there's so many hours in the day on on cnn and then you talk about a streaming platform plus digital <clears throat> you got podcast opportunities why not bring on people like Barry Weiss and let her still do her independent thing as well, and but be part of a larger umbrella that brings in a slightly new audience, and it can be mutually beneficial. Um, but and and at least from some of the reporting, that's kind of where I think Chris Lick's head at is at with 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 CNN, at least in some capacity. How do you expand it out to to a broader audience? Not you know you're not bringing in you know. Tucker Carlson, but you're you're bringing in a, a wider audience through countercultural voices rather than necessarily ideologically different.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess I'm in Wade and C mode, like everybody else. You know, wondering what primetime is actually going to become, uh, and it's hard. You know, it's hard. If it was easy, they, they would have already had a, an answer uh, this time last year, last February, when there was the management change at CNN. Um, this is clearly a, a challenge. Um, but you know, as much attention as prime gets or morning gets. I I came I both when I was in CNN and now on the outside. I really believe CNN is the way to measure CNN, the way to measure its impact and its and its its power or its popularity is in the twenty four hour cycle. You know the the cumulative audience, the cumulative reporting. You know not hour by hour because you know ratings go up, ratings go down. The 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 reason CNN has such a unique role that you referenced earlier in the media universe is. Because it's you know it's it's still that default. Thankfully, it's that place people go when there's news, and and that's the most important
0: factor. I gotta say that's one of my pet little concerns oh. here. The thing that bu- that bugs me is that is that uh, that people compare like YouTube numbers oh. to to cable news ratings, and they don't understand. Talking about an average person watching for a single minute, the cum as Brian's talking about cumulative numbers. How many people watch, like say, over the course of a month? We're talking about tens of million on CNN also on Fox News, and 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 uh, and it's, it's a much, much larger number of people. It's that, a that much larger up. number.
1: It's a yep. much larger number. I mean, Fox is such a juggernaut, and especially when you think about it, if you have more than a million people watching every minute of every day, start to do the multiplication, and you get into billions and billions of minutes so quickly. Now, that said, Steve, the audience is aging. I mean, I, I know yep. there's new 55-year-olds born every day, and someday I'll be one of them, but the audience is aging. It's, it's hard to Imagine um, that uh, that our kids are going to be cable news junkies someday. They are definitely going to consume it in a different form. And I think about you know in relation to Uncovered, there's the opportunity for change and 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 restore restore restoration of trust and growth. The the opportunity, I I think, a lot of it is going to be in a new form factor in whatever replaces and succeeds the phone. Like it's going to be in you know maybe whatever the new atomic unit of news is we can build in ways to make it more trustworthy and help people i don't know now i'm getting all wonky but this is the stuff say- i think about when i'm like enjoying unemployment you know
0: <laughs> well well, we are we are at like uh, at time so let me ask you like what are you, are you, is that what you're are, is that what you're doing atomic units of news like i um, what, what's your what's your mindset on on what's next
1: I hadn't used that phrase before, so maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it's somebody else's and I don't even know. I mean, what I'm doing is I'm like loving being a stay-at-home dad and trying to figure out what to do with my big barn. I want to figure out if I should get chickens or goats or (laughs) anybody listening. If you have advice for me about what to do, what animals to get, let me know. you're on a
0: farm now, yeah.
1: Yeah. I actually moved uh, literally the same day I left CNN. It was the craziest timing uh, in the world. Like I was in the moving truck when the news broke, Um, but it was great because I was already moving anyway. I, I, you know, we tried to figure out kindergarten for my daughter and, um, and it's been a great, it's been a great six months. Um, But every so often, every so often I do want to write a story here and there. So I've started writing here and there for the Atlantic and, and fortune and other places. And, um, you know i have a bigger idea but i can't reveal it quite yet cuz this is about you today this is about you how's how how is book launch week gone so far i'm turning see i'm turning it back around how has wow, book was, launch week fast. felt so far uh, how, like, i have, I, have, have one more question it? for you but um, no, okay, okay.
0: Uh, last one all right uh okay i I've, I've been enjoying it i think it's been uh I, I would say the the writing process uh writing the book was um it was it was more straightforward it was not as stressful as as people said it might be the a couple months and then a couple weeks leading up to the book coming out has been much much more stressful than I expected <laughs> it to be. Um, and but I, I think there's been some good things this week. I, I'm trying to keep a, the idea that I, I I think that luck is playing a big factor in ultimately and how the book does. And um, I, I will say, you know, I, as I uh, as I sit here going on, you know, cable news, green rooms and podcasts and tweeting nonstop about the book <laughs> and, and getting the affirmation from Twitter. And, and I'm literally taking the Acela tomorrow um, from New York to DC. Ah! Um, I, I, I feel there's a little bit of fraudulence to the whole thing, um, but I'm trying to be, you know, self-aware about it at least. Um, but, uh, but no, it's been an interesting There's not experience.
1: fraudulence because you got to understand the media insider thing <laughs> in order to dissect it. I mean, I know. I, you know, the way I always describe it and I know you probably think I've failed at this. I feel like I always tried to sit on the edge of the fence with one foot in and one foot out, and I, I feel like that's what you do. I mean, I think I, I would. I, you live in a better place to do it in Texas, but you know, one foot on the inside, one foot on the outside, straddling the fence. Because then, when we can explain how it works on the inside, to everybody. That's at least the way I like to think about
0: it. We were, were you free to do that? You think? I mean, that was. I feel
1: like I always was. I, I know. Yeah. I know people think I'm some. You know. Oh, I don't even want to say, I don't even want the words to come out of my mouth All <laughs> the trolling that I've gotten. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I feel like I had an incredible amount of autonomy at CNN. Like, I don't know if I could ever have, like, like I wouldn't want to go and do a TV show again yeah. unless I had the same degree of autonomy, you know? And so if you didn't like my guest or you didn't like my segment, you know, it was my fault, right? It wasn't, it wasn't anybody else's. And um, I know that it, oftentimes in TV, it's not like that. Uh, I think Tucker Carlson has great autonomy for better or worse. Rachel Maddow, you know, there are certain figures who it is their show and it is, you know, it is, it is a custom um, uh, handcrafted artifact. Uh, But a lot of times it's not. So for me, writing my own banners um and you know going going too long with blocks and not worrying about the commercials. I had like, so much freedom and uh and that's 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 really it that was really valuable and uh I didn't know how rare it was until after I left to be honest
0: yeah well and, and I said I mean, but you just turned it around back on me again uh, well then, all right i'll just, I'll end it by saying <laughs> that I, I think that you know uh I, I I would say I people can argue about whether like it, it always came across on air but I do think that just from our conversations offline, you know i know i've i've certainly been critical of of you in fourth watch over the years and and i do think that you're someone who who is much more introspective than than many other people that i would be critical of in the press well,
1: it's hard to be um, introspective it's hard to be introspective sometimes when you know the president of the united states is waging war against the news media. I, and I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying, like,
0: it, okay, opening a can of worms.
1: I know I shouldn't have done this at the end of the <laughs> It's like, Hey, here, Brian, here, you have 40 minutes on TV. How do you want to spend those minutes? And it's like, okay, well, I personally think that the war is the most important story, not the peace. but like, that's, I know that's the fight. And you know, what's crazy he wants it. We're going to be. And that's the thing, right? We're going to be fighting about this for the rest of our lives. Don't you think like the Trump years, like is this country ever gonna get over the Trump years? I don't think so.
0: Well, here he goes again. So (laughs) we'll we'll see, we'll see if it continues now. Uncovered
1: Um, two, coming in 2029.
0: That's, there you go. Um, Brian, uh, we'll leave it there. I I appreciate you doing this really. Thanks so much. Thank you, great talking with you. All right, that was fun uh thank you to brian stelter uh and really i I, I texted brian after this was done and i I said i I hope that this can be a model for discourse uh in our culture and our media i think we need it i think we need more conversations between people that don't always agree but can disagree respectfully and uh and can have that dialogue out in the open Uh, not just behind the scenes not just through direct message or through text messages or through conversations but can do so for other people to see and and hopefully to uh to get something out of so I, I really uh i really do appreciate that i think that was fun and i hope you did as well uh, i wanted to tell you that fourth watch content can be found at fourth Media. fourth watch has gone independent in 2023 is now on substack You can become a paying subscriber on Substack, get a whole bunch of extra content, original deep dive columns called Rabbit Hole, as well as full podcast episodes. This one, you get the full one because it's sort of a special episode, but normally you get some extra content for the podcasts. Uh, That is a $5 a month or $50 a year for the paid subscription. FourthWatch.media. But again, this podcast is specifically about the new book. Go find that at ReadUncovered.com. ReadUncovered.com. Uh, I hope you check it out. You can email me uh, at lots of different places, including the very last words of the book, which are, is a new email address for people that read the book. And we can talk about it because I'm I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. So, Fourth Watch, not just a podcast, also a newsletter. Subscribe for free at fourthwatch.media. Join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in this show as i do check out the artist who created it super duper that's super duper music on instagram the song is far from falling download it wherever you get your music and you can download follow like rate review this show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast including on substack back soon stay safe talk to you then